Hey guys, it's Mom Taraj, the podcast about being a mom that thinks that most mom stuff is super boring. So we created our own posse. I'm Ashley. And I'm Carrie. And we are ready to walk you down the red carpet of motherhood. Here we are, another week. Definitely happier than last week. Yeah, another week. It was so weird editing last week's episode, knowing what the outcome was when I could hear in our voices how still, like, trepidatious we were. I felt like I was, like, Marty McFly traveling into the future. (laughs) That's fun. Yeah, I was like, ooh, I know what happens. I gotta tell you, though, like, this is where 2020 is the gift that keeps on giving because I still am trepidatious. It's like I've still, I have so much PT from the past few years. I mean, same. I'm like, this guy gets away with everything. What's to say he's not going to change the outcome of all of this now? I think also that most of my boxes are unpacked from my house. Most of them. I'm I'm just in general feeling a little bit more settled, but you're right. Anything could change. No, no, no. I like your approach Plot twist. I want to stick with what you're saying. Got it. That feels better, but I'm just going with where my thought pattern is in the world. Anyway, should we talk about the show? Yeah, we got another great one for you. All right, so this week we've got Dr. Susan Nicholas. She's a three-time author of Conscious Books for Adults and Children, a Reiki energy healer, an international speaker, a podcast host, and as if she needed any other titles, uh, she is a conscious life coach, and we're going to be talking to her about children and grief. And you know, what a time for it, because you and I have had some deaths in the family recently, COVID, and just even discussing illness with kids has been something we've discussed on the show before, so we're really lucky to have her to help us navigate this tricky time. Yeah. And, you know, just to to balance it, we're going to talk about pandemic gifts for this weird holiday season. What a time to be alive. And as always, we have hashtag swag bag, but up next, the The tits and the shits. Do you want to go first, Ash? Sure. So, you know, it's, you know, guys, I'm getting really tired of being depressed on this show, and I'm trying really hard not to be. This week, I had a death in the family. A very, very close friend to my family, somebody that I call an uncle, lost a very long battle to cancer, and it was really, really sad, and I'm not doing so great right now. I remember when, at the beginning of all this coronavirus stuff, at some point, Carrie was like, hey, you sound really bad in the podcast. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I had to have that intervention. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember being like, oh, shit, man. So I'm trying really hard to not have it sound that way and like be energetic and happy. But well, it's not always like that. So it's okay to have your feelings, Ashley. Yeah, it's a this is a hard one. He was a young guy, youngish in his 50s, my parents age. And, uh, you know, he very quickly turned for the worst. And it's very weird to see someone survived by their mother, their elderly mother, his husband. It's sad. It's sad when people pass so young. And like I said a few minutes ago, I'm so happy about the election. I mean, I was glued to that fucking TV, to CNN for days, for days and days and days, days leading up to it. And when Saturday came along, it was just like, let's fucking party, man. Let's celebrate this man is 
gone. But then other things kind of just like got in the way of that celebration. And I just feel like, you know, for me, 2020 is the year of roller coaster emotions. Yeah. And this is why we can't have nice things. Right. And by we, I just mean like it's feeling like me. You know, I really try not to be a negative Nancy. You aren't really a negative Nancy because I met you pre all of this stuff and you're not a negative Nancy. Yeah. You're a realist, but you're not a you're not a negative Nancy. No. And I, I try not to be like a Debbie Downer because there's nothing worse than talking to that person who's like, but blah, blah, blah. Did you know everything's good? <laughs> that We're sketch all is so go good. Extinct. Yeah, that, like, that sketch is so real. It's so good. I really just try not to be that person. I'm really on the struggle bus. You've been so good this week helping me try and get everything done. And you did most of the script for the live show, which usually I handle the live show script. And even now I've just like, I've maybe gotten like five, six sentences done on this script all day and I'm staring at it. <laughs> it's up. This is why we don't do a podcast alone. We're a team. We're just really lucky that our shit hasn't gone down at the same time. Yeah. I'm sure it will happen at some point, but we've been really lucky that, you know, you really covered for me when I was moving and when my grandmother died, you know, which was the other podcast, but still I remember that episode that we had to record and you did a lot of the heavy lifting and this is what friends are for and this is what good business partners do. We understand yeah. that this is a long game and not a short game, you know? Yeah. It's just like kind of annoying that it keeps having to go back and forth. Not that I ever mind covering for you. It's just like I'm over it. And I realized last night, like we've all been saying, oh, 2020, 2020. But like 12.01 a.m. on January 1st, Isn't going to change things. Yeah. Right. The world's not going back to normal. But let's just get through this. I need something to look forward to. Don't take that away from me. There's me being Debbie Downer again. Wow, wow, wow. But yeah, that's it. How's your week? I bet it's better. Uh, I have first a corrections corner, which I don't want to steal that. Because that. that's from my favorite murder. So I don't want to steal corrections corner. Let's just call the corner. We fucked it up. Uh, duh. We fucked it up. We fucked shit up all the time. But this one, um, I had to correct you because it, it was me. Yes. It's something that is close to my heart, which is psychological disorders. So I really yeah. feel like I need to. You had said that you had Munchausen. Right. And it's Stockholm. actually Stockholm syndrome. Munchausen yeah. is when you make make someone sick because yes. it gives you power. Yes. And Stockholm is when you start to uh, feel for your captor, which is what Munch, you were saying. Munchausen is what Lisa Rinna was accusing Yolanda Foster of oh. having when she was saying she had Lyme disease. It's an entire fucking story arc for a whole season of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Oh, but, boy. Um, I was definitely referring to Stockholm Syndrome, which is more Beauty and the Beast. Exactly. Anyway, I just had to correct that. And then, um, so my sister's turning 30, and I've talked about it a little bit on the show, but uh, she's a lot younger than me. She's turning 30. It was her uh, 10-year anniversary with her husband, and they were supposed to go on this big vacation. She was also not expecting to be pregnant again. She had two successful IVF implantations. She had lots of rounds of IVF, but, and has two children. And um, had a couple margaritas one night after she stopped breastfeeding pre-quarantine, came home, jiggied with her husband, and next thing you know, she's not infertile and she's sort of accidentally pregnant again. And so she was just like, can 2020 get any worse? Not only can I not go on my, the most extravagant vacation I've ever planned because it's my 30th birthday and I, my husband and I were gonna go on our wedding anniversary trip, but now I can't even drink or see my friends on my 30th. 
30th. So I booked us a hotel and we're going to like COVID clean that motherfucker. And just me and her, no kids, just for one night are going to like order food, watch ghost shows and Law and Order reruns and just sit in pajamas. That's basically what you and I have been talking about doing for a long time. I think it sounds like a dream come true. And and I think we should do it. We should. But as somebody who stayed in a hotel room for one night, I will assure you that it is a little nerve wracking at first. And then mm. you're totally fine. Once you've taken your Clorox wipe to every surface in there, you've taken off the like top layer thing. You feel cozy. You feel safe. It's going to be great. You guys are going to have a blast. And then I just found out that they allow dogs. So I'm going to bring Beckett. Oh, nice. So it's going to be good. cozy. And I got us matching t-shirts and matching pajamas. We got leopard print pajama bottoms and a t-shirt Ew. that says, if you think I'm a bitch, you should see my sister. <laughs> That's very cute. We're basically going to be that. like the most basic that has ever been basic. That's all right. You know what? Basic gets a really bad rap. I have said over and over again, I have a lot of very basic tendencies and I embrace those. You know, there's nothing wrong with being basic sometimes. All right. Well, stay tuned, guys, because up next, we've got Dr. Nicholas speaking to us about how to talk to your kids about grief. Dr. Nicholas is a physician and surgeon who, after a conscious awakening, transitioned her life into soul healing work. Sounds like my kind of woman. Today, she is a telepathic, medical, intuitive, energy healer, and international and TEDx speaker on the frequency of money. As the founder of the Human Consciousness Consortium Publishing, Dr. Nicholas is the author of The Duality of Being, Perspectives from Multidimensional Travel, Two Parts of Me, I Am More Than My Body, and her upcoming release, The Death of Cupcake, A Child's Experience with Loss. Susan can also be found hosting her Be Conscious podcast. Her diverse work has a common thread, which is to awaken humanity to consciousness. Dr. Nicholas is a featured guest on nationally syndicated radio and podcasts internationally, and frankly, obviously is a big deal because she's on our podcast. So thank you. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Dr. Nicholas. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. Um, You have such an impressive bio. I can't even handle it, by the way. Well, thank you. There's a lot that goes into that journey, which led to the conscious awakening. So I'm sure we'll get into that, but thank you. So the first thing I want to ask you is how did you first start like working with children and grief? You know, I actually trained as a surgeon. I trained in general in cardiothoracic surgery. So my medical training was not with children. However, after I experienced my conscious awakening, I began writing uh, books for adults. My first book was The Duality of Being. And in that writing, I realized that most of the pain and grievances, the emotional traumas that we hold in our bodies as adults originated when we were just children. And I wondered if we could really address those emotional issues, those traumas, those pains from childhood, and learn how to deal with those feelings and transform them. Could we not have a healthier society? Could we not be more fulfilled adults? And so that propelled me into writing my first children's book, um, which is called Two Parts of Me, really to remind children that they are both physical person and a spiritual being, and to really remember and to rely on their intuition as guidance from their souls. And then my second book, The Death of Cupcake, is releasing on Friday, November 13th, and it's about children who have experienced loss. Now, all of my children's books are actual children who have lent their likenesses and stories, and they're all written from a child's perspective with consciousness infused throughout the 
the pages. And so really what I aim to do working in the children's sphere is to create a space, to create a platform for children and their parents to have discussions that are typically very difficult to have and death uh, certainly being one of them. You know, it's really interesting. I come from a family of medical folks. My dad was uh, a psychologist and my mom was a cardiac intensive care nurse. And I had originally wanted to go into medicine. And then through my own journey with my own physical ailments, came to realize that, you know, as they say, that emotions, you know, leave their imprint on your body and realized that I needed to do a lot of holistic work in order to be healthy, that my mental was really affecting my physical. So I started to become a meditation and yoga teacher while doing it and then became one. And a bunch of the people that I've worked with in my meditation trainings are former surgeons, actually, who Mm -hmm. realize that a lot of the emotional and psychological work that can cause or predicate ourselves to illness is not actually handled in the medical community at all amongst their peers. And so um, a bunch of the people that I have worked with in meditation are medical professionals who now offer meditation and other holistic services to other medical professionals to help them deal with the very thing that they uh, are trying to heal in others, you know? Exactly. So you hit on a couple of really important things. What you just said really takes some people a lifetime, if at all, to come to the realization of. And really what we don't learn in medicine, training as allopathic doctors, that's the training that I went through to become an an MD, is we don't really make that mind-body connection. We really look at only the physical. We, We call it kind of the physical exam. Everything is about what you see, what can be measured. And if it cannot be measured with our tools, our scientific tools, then we think that everything's okay. And so someone can look fine on the outside, you know, momentarily, but really be dying on the inside. And we never really bridge the gap in medicine. And I'm also a conscious coach and my clients are physicians and business professionals who after all their hard work and their titles and their money still find themselves unfulfilled or still find themselves woefully sad or depressive. And I experienced that. And it's again, the same idea that we are always looking outside, looking at our outside selves, looking at our outside world, looking for the causes of all of our troubles and ailments when really that journey should begin from within. We've repeatedly said all of us as a collective whole during this year that this is an unprecedented time. Have you seen more grief during all of this pandemic, especially with, you know, the large amounts of loss and death that we're all experiencing? Yes. And I think what's an important distinction is that there are different types of grief. So yes, we're typically under the impression that if you're grieving, then you've lost someone or a pet or, you know, a significant uh, individual in your life. There are other forms of grief, like the loss of your possessions. People have lost their homes, their jobs, their incomes, their way of life, their routines, They've lost connections with friends. There are things called a collective grievance when there's communities that grieve, like we're seeing with a lot of the social unrest or the political debacles, where there are entire communities, entire societies, entire countries that are grieving for different reasons, uh, catastrophes or natural disasters that cause this level of grief or ongoing wars. And so there's more than just losing someone that's close to you, but of course, that's top of mind, particularly in the pandemic. But it's also important to remember that there are other forms of grief and loss that we are all experiencing every single one of us as we go through this unprecedented year. How have you noticed children usually respond to grief and loss? Well, children have 
many forms of response to grief and loss just as adults do. But what can be particular with children is this feeling of hopelessness or this withdrawn feeling. Maybe they don't perform well in school or they can't concentrate. Perhaps they lose their appetite or they'll have feelings of wanting to harm themselves or others or there'll be anger within them. And children have a particular way of grieving, I think, for a couple of reasons. One is that they do not have the life experience of an adult to really put things into perspective, if you will. But this, they don't have enough life experience to say, oh yeah, this is, I'm going to get through this or this has happened before. On the other end of that is there's this belief in our kids that what other people say is true. So for example, if I see something on social media or um, a classmate makes a comment, then there's a tendency to embody that, to believe it true. Even if that person has no clue who you are or what they're talking about. We still, as children, have this tendency to embody pain or the insult from someone who knows nothing at all about us. Whereas adults, we can grow to understand that when we see, for instance, a a bully online or social media or even in person, as an adult, we can begin to see that the insecurity relies in the bully themselves. Like the person that is inflicting, they're just projecting their own insecurities and fears on someone. But as a child, you don't see it that way necessarily. You believe that it's true what they're saying about you. And then you allow that in, as I call it, and that becomes a soulful wound that is carried on. You know, what you said about children handling death, it's a little harder as a child than it is as an adult. It's very interesting. First time I really experienced loss was at 16 years old. My grandfather had passed away. And I remember my mom sent me to school the next day. It happened overnight. I went to school the next day, which in retrospect, probably was not a great idea. And I just couldn't keep it together. I couldn't. And it was more than anything, it was this concept that this person I have known my entire life was just gone. They ceased to exist. I will no longer ever see him ever again. And over the course of this year, I have lost my grandmother, who I was even closer to. And uh, I just recently lost somebody a couple of days ago, an uncle. And although it's sad for so many reasons, it is so different now. And this has been something that I have not been able to kind of wrap my brain around or put words to, but hearing you say it really kind of made a lot of sense to me. And I still am not totally sure why that is, but it is, maybe it's the maturity level, but it it is really interesting to me. I mean, if I can take a moment aside from the sadness to just be like, hmm, this is cool, uh, then that's what I'm doing. (laughs) Well, I I love that you shared that teenage experience of losing your grandfather, Uh, because around the same age, I I remember losing my grandmother. And this is the reason that I wrote The Death of cupcake. I don't believe that as a society, as the American Western society, that we allow our children to grieve to completion. And what I mean by that is we think that kids, because they are young and maybe they don't have experience, don't feel the same thing as the adult does. Like, like they can just, like you said, pick up and go to school the next day and everything's fine. But it's not true. Children have the same feelings. What is different is the, is the lack of maturity and processing those feelings and having language around them. And moreover, our kids, particularly when they are young, they are excluded from funeral or burial proceedings. And so they just cannot, in the same way that adults do, make any closure. Now, I, I really thought about this in my energy practice. I'm also an energy healer. And my adult clients, when they are on my table and I'm moving energy, sometimes we will move, we will literally free grief from childhood, from the loss of a grandparent 
or a parent or a sibling or a friend. Now, they'll be fully grown, but they will still have within them that element, that dense energy, that grief that they've carried their entire lifetime because they were not able to make closure. I, I remember when my grandmother died, it was my father's mom. It was the first time that I recall ever seeing my father cry. And I remember thinking in that moment that I couldn't express my own grief because look how broken my father was. And I think many children go through that. They don't want to feel like a burden or like, oh, now mom's got to take care of herself because she just lost her dad. And now she's got to take care of me because I just lost grandpa or grandma. And so the children often shoulder a lot of that energy, that grief for decades. This is really why I think this book, The Death of Cupcake, is very, very important as we're raising Generation Z. I have a Generation Z child too. And these kids are a lot more conscious, I believe, than we were. I believe there's an awakening occurring on the planet. And this generation, these children who are now and being born, who are in elementary school, they are feeling more. They are having a different life experience in a way, I believe, a more awakened experience and that they're more open to dealing and expressing their emotions. And my hope is that through this Conscience Children series that I'm writing, that it becomes a normal thing to actually look at the emotions that are emanating from our energy bodies, as I call them, from our souls. At what age do you think it's appropriate to start bringing up the conversation about grief? I think it's appropriate at the age the child experiences it. A child may not have language or know how to act or what to do in the time of the death, but they are there and they experience it. And so the death of Cupcake, the kids were eight, nine years old, and they lost their pets or grandparents in this in this case. But all the children were present. They were there when the bodies were found, when the the funerals happened when the parents expressed their grief of the loss of their own parent. And so I, I don't think it, there's ever too young an age to lay the foundation for the child to express what they are feeling, not make it right or wrong, as parents to be able to hear it, to listen to what they're saying. I'm telling you, our children are profound in their understandings and then allow them to grieve as we do. Let me ask about my three-year-old son. So my grandmother, I told you, died August ish, not of COVID, but she had been in a home for quite some time. My son would, you know, has met her, um, has talked about her, calls her Bisa, you know. I didn't tell him that she passed away because I just didn't know how to talk to him about it at three years old. But I will tell you, since she has passed, he brings her up a lot. Her urn is in my parents' living room and he doesn't know that that's the urn and he has brought attention to it. He's done these strange things where normally she wouldn't be a part of his conversation and suddenly she is. So there's a lot of different ways we can look at also, that, Also, right? your grandmother had some spiritual power, this lady. We know this. So I think that that has something to do with it too. Anyway, go ahead. Right. And that's why I'm saying there's like different ways to kind of take that or feel about that. But I wonder if I've done something wrong by not telling him that she passed. You know, I, I just didn't want to have to have that conversation with him before he was ready for because it's so it's such a heavy topic for me and it's so scary for me. Do you have any opinion or insight on that? I do. And I would say do not feel bad. 
Okay. And this is exactly what, this is exactly the issue that we don't know how to talk to our kids. Yeah. Because it has always been a very heavy topic. It's a difficult topic to discuss. What I have found is firstly, grandma uh, who has passed and your child may be communicating with each other. Yeah, I do. I think they are to some extent. You know, I believe our children are born conscious. They're born still connected and aware of what I call their higher self, like from where they come. There's a period of forgetting. I call it like we catch a severe case of amnesia Mm. as we grow on this planet and we forget who we are and then we come full circle again and begin to remember again. But I believe there's a, there's a wind when our children still are awake and they're still aware and they have a higher uh, connection or and, and communicate on a different realm of understanding. And so, and I believe that's where grandma, those who have transitioned are communicating in that realm as well. And so I do think that our kids are aware. I think that our, as parents, and I count myself in this category, um, haven't always had the words or the way to describe it because it was never discussed with us. I don't recall ever my parents sitting down with me and saying, so what do you think is happening? Or what, how do you feel? I I don't recall that ever happening still. And so it was just their generation didn't know how to speak about it. And then we grew up not knowing how to speak about it. And then what do we do now with our own children? I believe we provide them the space to talk about it. I use a few examples in the death of cupcake that I think many parents could relate to. I speak about death of the physical body of us like the fallen leaves of a tree. And that's how I really start out the book. We start like, just like there's a cycle of the seasons, there's a cycle of life. And then we go into higher orders of loss. What if you lose a pet, a pet that you love? How do we think about that transition of that pet? And then I like to think of the metamorphosis of a butterfly where this caterpillar transforms, makes this metamorphosis, becomes the butterfly, but the caterpillar does not die. It makes a transformation. And so we say, well, maybe we also make a transformation as human beings. And then we carry that into grandma and grandpa. And, you know, we talk about, are we really dying? You know, is this, is this really a finite existence or are we infinite beings? And this is merely a transition. And so I designed my Conscious Children series for kindergarten uh, to fourth graders, five to 10 year olds. But I have found that there are grandparents who read the book for themselves and younger children, teenagers. It doesn't matter. This is a universal message that resonates with every living being because we all make the transition. We all are born onto this earth. We all develop here and we eventually die off of the planet. And so there's this, there's a process that we all kind of know, but no one ever talks about. And I think it's high time that we empower ourselves and our children to have this conversation. And I think in doing so, we find that our children have a higher understanding than we ever thought and that this fear surrounding death becomes lessened because we, we, it's a higher understanding, it's a more exalted perception of life and death. Can you tell me about being a telepathic medical intuitive? This is something I, like I said, I'm a yoga teacher and a meditation teacher. And um, this is something I'm really, really into. I haven't gone to one yet, and I have been thinking about it. Can you explain to me and those who maybe probably don't know as much about it as I do, what it is, how you came to it. Um, just give us the rundown. Sure, I'm happy to. So generally speaking, we are we have intuitions about things that we know. And so I trained as a surgeon and I have maybe a heightened awareness of anatomy of the body. And so when I had my conscious awakening, I experienced it in 2012. One of my superpowers was uh, to be able to see and move energy. 
And I did not, trust me, when, when I was going through my awakening, I had no clue what any of this stuff was. I had no language around it. I, I, I didn't know what was happening. I just could feel energy emanating from me. And I didn't know what, from where it come or what it was. I think some people might call it chi, like this just life force energy that was emanating from me. I didn't know how I could even use it, but I came to understand it. And I got my attunements as an energy healer. And what I found is being an energy healer is like being an artist or musician or painter where you, you can move energy or be an energy healer, but each person has their own way of doing it. Just like there's different ways of making music or creating art. And so the way that I came into my energy healing was really from my medical background. When I would have my clients, uh, on my table, I could sense um, if there was something wrong with an organ. Energetically, it feels different. Huh. I could, for example, um, I'll, I'll give you a concrete example. I have a, an international energy clientele, and one of my clients is in Amsterdam. And I've never moved energy with her in person. It's only been what I call distance practice. And I was moving uh, energy with her and I noticed there was a different type of feeling of the energy in her breast. It didn't feel like uh, alive. And she said to me, oh, I've got breast implants. I had breast cancer. And I said, ah, because as a healer, I can feel everything has a vibration. I can feel the energy move through the different chakras of the body, but also the organs of the body. They're all, it's all connected. And as I will say it firsthand, as as allopathic trained medical doctors, we have never been able to make that connection that is not taught to us. We, we don't have any really foyer into it. To me, it required a spiritual awakening on an entirely different level to be able to do this. But I now, because I do have a command of the anatomy uh, from my prior occupation being a surgeon, and I have the ability to move energy, I can sense which organs are healthy and which are not. And other people will have different uh, superpowers. You know, some people in their conscious awakening, they'll be able to have clairaudience or they can hear different things or clairvoyance. Some people move energy. Some people travel out of bodies. So, you know, people have different, some people can move things uh, telekinetically. My realm of healing comes from the medical intuitive, like really moving energy in the body and what I call tapping into higher realms of understanding. And so I am able to communicate with the soul of the person, with this, I call her the goddess, because ladies, I'm telling you, you're a goddess. Mm. You just might not know it. There's so much power in the feminine and so much power in us that that soul of you is speaking. But sometimes we haven't developed the relationship with ourselves to hear the message, or we can't interpret the message. We feel an ache or pain or something doesn't feel good or right. And the first thing we do is look outside of ourselves. We think, oh, it's something I ate. It's this medication. It's my age. It's this, it's that. Something acting up. But really, it's the root of it is from within you. We haven't been conditioned and we haven't learned how to make the connection. And so when I move energy, I, I help to make the connection. So someone feels one way. They may be feeling grief of some sort. They may be feeling uh, abdominal discomfort. They may be feeling like anxiety. Anxiety, and then I say, oh, this is from the, what the soul of you has to say about that. And then 
we, it really helps people to make meaningful shifts and transformations in their lives when that connection is made. I love that. Thank you so Thank much you. for coming on. This was really beautiful. Yeah. And good luck on your podcast. And if you need anything, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. I will not. It has been a great pleasure, you guys. I love this. I love it. For us as well. Thank you so much. I am offering a promotion on my Frequency of Money program, and that is for anyone that has struggled with money in this lifetime and feel that it is holding them back from fulfilling their dreams. So all of your listeners, I'm offering you a promotion or code to come to the Frequency of Money page and at susannicholas.org to receive a $1,000 discount off of the Frequency of Money program. The promotion goes on through November 12th, but I'll offer it to your uh, listeners thereafter as well. I could use it. You might be seeing me there. So our next segment is this article I found that's called A Plethora of Pandemic Gifts Available for This Holiday Season, and it's from AP News. And we're just going to go through and mention some of them because they're kind of hysterical and right on the money. So the first thing is something called Mask and Speak, and it's a company that's gone a step further with a mask. It's called the Mask Phone. It comes with wireless earbuds, attached and built-in volume controls. It's black and it's breathable fabric that's water resistant. And if you're not on a call or listening to music, it uh, double as a voice amplifier so you can hear conversations better through the masks. And it's available at maskphone.com and Amazon. It starts at $49.99. So can I just offer this gift idea also that goes with it? But it will spoil one of your Christmas gifts. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so I got a really good deal on 100% mulberry silk face masks. And I bought a shit ton for a bunch of people for Christmas. Yep. And I did that because I would not spend money on a silk mask for myself. Is it going to help me with my mask knee? That is exactly what it's going to do. It helps with your mask knee. It also, there are some studies supposedly, which again, please don't take my word for it. You can Google it like I did, but supposedly because silk has copper in it, is it copper? Is it silver. One of them. They think it's more effective in killing like coronavirus virus germs. I have a hard time believing that, but that is a claim that they make. So anyway. Seems stylish regardless. It's really pretty either way. It's a silk mask, which like Could you get any more luxurious? It's reusable. You just wash it. Like it's really a great gift and that it is such a pandemic time gift, but I'm here for it. I Like, it's one of those things where if someone gave me a silk mask, I'd be like, oh my God, thank you. I would never buy this for myself. Agreed. All right, so next one is, they're calling it Sleep and Listen. It's the Sleep Phone. It's a soft headband of fleece or wicking fabric for exercise, and it includes two flat speakers built in. It's wireless, it's corded, and wireless rechargeable versions all exist. Um, it comes in two sizes and four colors. And let me tell you, I bought one of these for Sebastian a couple of years ago before all of this. It looks like a little monster and it was so that when we were traveling he could watch his iPad at that point he was not a kid who was into his iPad now I think <laughs> this yeah what a joke that is now I think it's like something he would be totally into I stand behind that gift I think it's a really great thing not just for adults but for kids and think about like people who are lay in bed and are on the phone it's kind of the best thing I think or like with me and Lee I like to fall asleep listening to something and he doesn't so oh, yeah that's great yeah. too okay so the next thing is called pandemic 
trees. And yes, we'd all like 2020 to go away, but a little something for the Christmas tree may be the keepsake that we need once it does all go away. So pandemic ornaments include a set of three with snowman, reindeer, and gingerbread person in masks touting rolls of toilet paper. Obviously, it's humorous. Um, And this set goes for $35.99 on Amazon. But also, we were at Target the other day, and I was like, should we get a 2020 ornament? And Matt and I looked at each other and said, no, we're good for getting this here. Kid books. So for kids up to five and fans of Good Night Moon, which we've already examined, are there any? Um, (laughs) There's Good Morning Zoom, written by a mom who was isolated with her kids in April, soon after the pandemic took hold. Uh, One page reads, Good Morning Room, Good Morning Zoom, Good Morning Friends You Hope to See Soon, Good Morning Light, and A World Not Quite Right. It's by Lindsay Reckler, Rechler, Reckler, and illustrated by June Park. Um, It's $14.99. There's another possibility, The Kid Boredom Buster, The Highlights Book of Things to Do. Sebastian gets Highlights Magazine every month, and it is the highlight of his month. So, and now um, you've given the old ones to us, so now it's yeah, the highlight of our. Those month are the as well. baby magazines, and as she gets older, they have like a more adult one. I mean, it's still for kids, but it is Sebastian's favorite thing, other than his blankie. So, anyway, that highlights book is twenty four ninety nine, available basically everywhere. The work wani waste up dressing remains a thing, but one still has to dress. I love this. Enter this work onesie for the everyman. It's a button down suitable for meeting striped work shirt attached to comfortable sweats on the bottom. <laughs> Sorry, this whole look is going to be terrible. Awful. Um, and it's made to look like the shirt is loosely tucked in. And wait for it, there's a flap in the back to go to the bathroom. It's $55. Head to workwannies.com and pre-order for its November 1st release. Can you imagine spending $55 on this fucking onesie when you could just wear a button-down shirt and sweatpants? This is <laughs> the biggest load of bullshit. I'm sorry, I gotta say it. That is, if I got that, I'd be like, I'd like the $55 cash, <laughs> Me please. Too. I will safety pin a work yeah! shirt into your sweatpants for you. Like, what kind of fucking world is this? Convoluting, comfy clothes. Jesus. That's some shit that you get for your dad when you're not sure what to get him. Yeah, and you probably get it on sale at Kohl's. You're not right. like, you know. <laughs> Jesus. All right, exotic sweets. Everyone's home a lot more, and we're a lot closer to our kitchens and pantries, so snacking is kind of just off the charts. And Uh, it's like nervous snacking. So we're really going through this shit. Yeah. So mix it up for a lucky loved one with a monthly subscription to the Japanese snack box service, Boxu. Each box is themed and includes tea. Among past themes is the Atsukimi Moon Festival box with mochi puffs and red bean donuts among the offerings. The items are all sourced from Japan. Starts at $36.99 on a year subscription at Boxu.com. So Lee and I are really into giving gifts that don't lay around your house that are like consumable. Or, or like um, experiential gifts. Yeah. This is a really good one because, you know, nobody needs any more clutter. So this is good. It's like an experience of traveling when you can't travel. I'm into it. And also like, not that I recommend this one for little kids, but with Sebastian, it's like he has so many toys. How many fucking more toys does his child needs? And for me, I'm always like, give him an experience of some kind. So although I don't necessarily think this is something up his alley, this is a good like guide on how to do an experience gift in a world where we can't really have experiences right now, you know? Can I give a couple of other suggestions of things I've been thinking of? Of course. Firstly, I don't know if other people do this. I do an entire list of all the people I have to think of. On top of Christmas, there are some people I also have to do. She's a Virgo. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it keeps me organized. I know, like, on Prime Day, there were so many good deals for stuff that I was like, oh, you know what? This knocks three people off my list. So I also like to hand make gifts. I don't know that there's 
going to be time this year. But with my silk mask, I'm thinking of making everyone a mask spray, which we've heard so many different people talk about. Something with like, and you know, I'm really into my aromatherapy right now. But something with like lavender or a sweet orange, something that kind of makes your mask smell good when you put it on. The other thing are DIY mask chains, which I think are so cute. Carrie, you know the necklace that broke upstairs? Yes. The one that you put on and broke in your hands. I'm still finding more beads from that. Sebastian finds them all the time and he goes, look at this disco ball for mice, (laughs) which is my favorite thing. (laughs) Like, I don't know how you know what a disco ball is, but you are my child. Every bead that I find of that thing, I'm just going to end up putting it into a face mask chain. I'm glad I could help you with that, with my intense spiritual power breaking the shit out of that mala. And then the last thing that I'm thinking about making for Zach specifically is I found a really easy DIY incense holder that is beautiful. It's one of those bespoke looking items Carrie would spend like <laughs> 60 or $70 on from like a really beautiful potter on Etsy, except you can make it yourself and it's so easy. So, you know, a lot of us are in financial struggle. Like a lot of people have lost their jobs and been laid off. And I personally come from a place where a handmade gift just so incredibly thoughtful and sometimes you don't need to spend so much money for somebody. I'm into handmade gifts as well. Yeah for years I've done body scrubs for people and like aromatherapy balls you put in the shower like those kinds of things. Those things are all options guys. You don't have to go out and spend shit tons of money on people. That's all I wanted to say. One more thing. For more gift ideas make sure you're tuning into Momtourage live from your couch every Thursday night 9 p.m. Eastern time. At the end of the show we're turning every Every hashtag swag bag into the Momtourage holiday gift guide hashtag swag bag with different themes like gifts for your coolest mom friend, gifts for new parents, gift for parents of fur babies. And then on our Instagram account at Momtourage podcast, if you go to the link in bio, there's also a list that we have started of all the different discount codes that we have from people who have taken part in our holiday gift guide. So there's 25% off Chaos by Kate Paris and I think 20% off Wellborn Coffee. So make sure you're checking that out because these are great offers for you to take advantage of and save some money. Hashtag swag bag. Okay, hashtag swag bag. You know, a lot of times at hashtag swag bag, our picks are kind of these things we're left struggling to remember like, oh man, what do I want to do my as my hashtag swag bag this week? So I've kind of started a little list in my phone of just things I can turn to when I can't think of something else that are just old reliables. And this is one I'm surprised I have not done yet. Sebastian's favorite possession is his Aiden and Anais dream blanket in the Indigo Shibori. It's a $60 blanket. When I was pregnant, I knew all my acting work was drying up and I worked at a temp agency basically from when I wasn't showing to like a week before I gave birth. And it was a long term temp placement. And as soon as people kind of found out I was pregnant, everyone was so nice to me. And this one man that worked there, whose name I don't even know, which is terrible, had a friend. He was like, well, I always see you working very hard and you're pregnant. And I have a friend who works at Aiden and Anais. Would you send me, would you give me your home address? I would like to send you something. I said, yeah, sure, of course. This was like months earlier, right? And then I had forgotten about it. I never got anything. And one day I got this magical box of so many items. So Oh my much god, that is so shit. nice. So that nice. shit is not cheap. Yeah, a bunch of the muslin blankets, a stroller blanket, some outfits which were so cute, so much great stuff. And the one 
I mean, the whole brand, some of it, you ever touch, like some of them are really hard and itchy. Yes. And then sometimes they just feel like the most magical cotton in the world. This dream blanket is so soft. I know I because we have the same one. Exactly. The Shibori one. And it confuses Seba every time he comes. He's like, that's yes. my blanket. Except his looks like shit because he sleeps with it and takes it everywhere. And like, it's that thing. Like we can't go somewhere if he doesn't have it and spend the night. This blanket, before I had him when I was super pregnant, it felt so good. I washed it and I would sleep with it. And I was Aww. like, I know Sebastian's going to love this blanket. I just know it. And I would sleep with it every night. And it took a long time. But now as he's older, like it's his end all be all. It is the thing I give everyone who's pregnant. I just can't recommend it enough. Link in our show notes. It is so great. You will not regret buying this. It is the best. I love it too. And it's just mm-hmm. like cool looking. That pattern is my it favorite. Is, I love a shibori. Yeah. And that's the other thing. It is a really cool looking blanket. On top of it all, it's just really pretty, but it feels, and as you wash it, it just like gets softer and like, it's just great. It's great. Okay. So when we moved, actually, when we were looking at this house, cause the, the journey to get this house um, happened like over it was a, a year ago. It was really a journey. Yeah. I commented on how they had this gate that was like built in because it's a very old house. So they had this like gate built into the wooden staircase and it just looked so good and it was so easy to navigate because gates are so annoying. And when we finally were closing on the house, I had asked if they could leave the gate and we would pay them for it. And so this fancy ass gate that they've left is from Munchkin and it is a really well-built, easy to navigate. It mounts to a piece of wood right to the inside of your door frame or stairway frame. And it is so good. And Luna is sort of like a little bit of a MacGyver and has figured out how to open every baby gate and she can't. This one takes a couple different steps of dexterity. And just FYI, I'm one of those people that like, if it's too hard, I can't open it. (laughs) It's not hard, hard. It's just- It's uh, the right amount of hard. It's the right amount of hard, right. (laughs) And it looks good. I kind of want to replace every gate that we need with it, but it's a pr- it's a pricey gate. It really is. I'll link to it in the show notes, but it's worth it, especially for like, this is the stairway that I'm worried that it when we put her in her big girl bed, she could fall down the stairs like sleepwalking. So it's an important like point of egress in the house. Um, I, I'm thinking about upgrading to some other easier navigating gates for the other places rather than like that old wooden one that we used to use for my dog. That's like a pain in the ass and is breaking. That's- that's the only thing we can use it in our stairs because yeah. our stairs just won't allow for it. So I get it. So, but this gate is like the Gwyneth Paltrow goop of gates. <laughs> it is just like streamlined and modern and really well designed and a little bit pricier, yes, but I think it's worth it, especially if you're really trying to create a space that looks not like your kid owns every inch of it. Good luck. Thanks again to our guest, Dr. Susan Nicholas. She made us feel a lot of things and have a lot to think about, which is really important. And thanks to you guys for continuing to listen to us during these strange times. We love you guys. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, please. Like, I know we always say it at the end of the show, but it's really important. That's how other people can find us, and it helps us as we slave away at this, happily slave away, to know that people are listening. And you know what? Write us an email. We love to hear from you. It's momtragepod at gmail.com. Bye. Bye.
Okay, that's our show today, folks. Thank you so much for giving us a listen. Please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. We are out here on our own, and these things really, really matter. We want to hear from you. Tell us what you want to hear. Email us at momtouragepod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at momtouragepodcast to hang out with us all week long. We are here for you. You are not alone. We got you. So go ahead, girl. Know this posse is behind you, and go slay. Mom Taraj is written and produced by Ashley Heron-Smith and Carrie Sotero. Recorded and mixed by Lee Mars. Our theme song, MILF, is by the band Mama Drama. You can find them on Instagram at mamadramaband or mamadramaband.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.